Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. It may feel like a battle, and it's going to be, because that's what the Lord said it was going to be. It may feel difficult all the way throughout this thing, but in the end, you win. Like, you won the lottery, so to speak. Like, you can't get any better than making it through this life, and then there you are standing face to face with Jesus, the one who died on the cross for you. You win. You win. Does it seem like your struggles will never end? Do they seem to consume you? Pastor James today declares that we win. Yes, we win. All the struggles and trials we're going through right now lead us straight to the presence of Jesus in the end. After it's all been said and done, we who trust in Jesus will meet him face to face. We can bank on that. This life is going to end one day and we'll reap the fruits of our life here on earth. Remembering this fact lessens the force of our next trial. Let's always keep our eyes on Jesus. Now here's Pastor James in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We are in 1 Peter chapter 2, if you don't mind turning there. Have you ever done a jigsaw puzzle? Jigsaw puzzle fans in here? Yeah, okay, it's good. It's good, good for your brain. The frustrating thing about jigsaw puzzles, especially if you have small children, is if they have access to those, and then you go to put them together after they've already opened the box, there's a good chance you will not complete the puzzle, right? And you won't know where the puzzle went, and there's just nothing more frustrating when it's like this picture is incomplete. It's incomplete. That's what we get to see with today when we look at this portion of scripture is, is God is putting together this like jigsaw puzzle, so to speak. And I believe that you are a piece of that puzzle. Now, again, the disclaimer there is a follower of Christ. You have to be a Christian to be a part of the puzzle. So let's look at this. We went into chapter two. We went into the first three verses there. And so that was Peter just letting the people know they're in this region of Asia Minor for these believers who are going through persecution and about to go through major persecution. He's letting them know, like, look, we got to be done with certain ways of lifestyle. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, so get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, You must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. That's the goal. So you as a believer, you gave your life to Jesus. Well, you should crave spiritual things. Be a person who hungers and thirsts for what? Righteousness. Righteousness. A lot of that comes from just being in the Word, spending time reading the Word, spending time praying, spending time fellowship with the body, growing. Growth is the goal. Growth is absolutely the goal for you in your walk with Jesus. It says, cry out for this nourishment, right? Never be satisfied. Never be satisfied. Want more. Desire to grow. Desire to grow. And if you find yourself at a place where you're like, I think I kind of made it. No, you need to start from square one because you have not made it. He's just throwing this out there. Now that you've tasted the Lord's kindness, he's setting these guys up for this encouragement of like, I know it's difficult, I know it's hard. 
But that doesn't mean that we get to take it easy or you have some sort of excuse for kind of sleeping, so to speak. I know it's difficult, and I know the tendency for us when it gets difficult is to be alone or to hide out. I can avoid the trials and the tribulations. For them, it's persecution. I can avoid the persecution if I'm just not around people. But that's not what God has for you. That's not what he's called us to do. Peter is encouraging these these dear brothers and sisters who have been going through tremendous amounts of difficulty just because they're Christians. And now he goes into this next little section here, starting in verse 4. It'll be 4 through 12, where Peter, by way of Holy Spirit, is going to let these people know, you are valuable. You're not the most valuable thing on this planet. Jesus is. But you are absolutely valuable because of who you are in Christ Jesus and his overall plan for humanity. So let's look at this. Verse 4. It says, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. This coming to Christ, what that means there within the Greek is this is a continual act. Not that you came to Christ for salvation. That's true. However, what Peter is referencing here is, no, you continually keep coming back to Jesus. Coming to Christ. Coming to Christ. That looks like this within our lives, I think. Um, Our devotional times with the Lord. When is your devotional time with the Lord? Is it in the mornings? Is that when you're at your best? Because here's the thing. I'm going through a leadership course right now, and I'm learning how to structure my work day and all this good stuff on, like, when are you at your best? And the emphasis behind that whole thing is within your relationship with the Lord, meeting with Him when you're at your best. So I sometimes have the habit or the tendency to forget and then be like, oh man, I, need, I really need to have time with the Lord. So I try to cram it in. And usually the time slots where that falls into is when I'm not at my best. And so what that communicates to him is, I'm giving you the leftovers. I kind of pull in a cane out of a Cain and Abel kind of story, Lord. I'm like, I'm just giving you my leftovers. Like, Here's what I have. And now that's not completely a bad thing. However, the lack of discipline in my life communicates to the Lord Give me your best. I want your best. Okay, so I have to be disciplined within that. When do I function at my best? So if you grew up in uh, a very strict or regimented kind of household and you do your devotions only at this time every single day, maybe that's not good for you. Maybe if you're not a morning person, I mean, you probably should spend time with the Lord. Absolutely. But when are you at your best, so to speak? Is it the evenings? Then do your devotions in the evening time. Is it in the afternoon? Then go for it then. Find ways to carve out time for that. If it is the mornings, then then make the mornings and your time with Jesus the most important thing of the day. But we continually go back to him. We keep coming back to Jesus. We come back to Jesus. And that's also a secret, so to speak, to this growth in your relationship with the Lord. It's constantly coming back to him and spending time with him. So you are coming to Christ who is, and here's Peter, he's referencing Jesus as he's the living cornerstone, the living cornerstone, not the dead cornerstone, not the inanimate cornerstone, but the living cornerstone, meaning that he's the most important piece of the structure, the most absolute important piece of the structure. The cornerstone made sure everything was right, 
was straight. Also back then when they would build some of these buildings, the cornerstone was that thing that, that was the strength of the building. Okay. You don't want any wonky walls or anything like that, right? So in order to avoid that, you have a cornerstone that is cut, that is sure. It's just straight. And that's the Lord Jesus. So concerning the church, Christ is the living cornerstone. And when things are built upon Christ, they tend to go in the right direction. They tend to go in the right direction. When we try to build things, the walls get wonky, right? You understand what I'm saying? It's just nothing square. It's just all off. And you're like, do walls normally wave like that? No, they're not supposed to, right? But when we build out of our own strength, it just looks like a fun house usually, right? Any carnival kind of fun house type thing, you're like, I don't think this is right. Um, This hurts to look at. Yeah, that's our efforts. That's our strength. But when Christ is a cornerstone, there's strength there. There's design. There's purpose. You can count on that structure to stand firm. You can count on that structure to stand firm. So he is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people. We know that. Read the gospels. The people, he came and he, he displayed the fact that, yes, I am the Messiah. I am Yeshua. I'm the one. And they're like, well, we don't think you should be him. And we're going to look for another, is what they said. In fact, they're like, well, we're just going to kill you because you don't align with our thoughts and our views, Jesus. So we'll just kill you. And we'll look for another. He was the living cornerstone, was and is and always will be. But he was rejected by people. But, but, he was chosen by God for great honor. The butts of the Bible. Beware of the butts of the Bible, right? I heard John Corson used to say that all the time. And for this inner junior high student forever, uh, that always just sticks with me, right? They are so amazing when you look at that. Rejected by people, but chosen by God. But chosen by God. For great honor. Now here's the personal connection to this. That's who Jesus is. The the chief cornerstone. Chief cornerstone, meaning the great living cornerstone. And you. And you. To the people, first and foremost, to the people in Asia Minor... Okay, to the churches where this letter circulated, but then 2,000 plus years later to Galveston, Texas, but you, or and you, you are living stones. You're not the cornerstone. It doesn't all ride on you. You're not the strength of the church. Okay, you're an important part of the church, but this whole thing doesn't ride on any single one of us, myself included. Okay, myself included. Has God called me here to be the pastor? Absolutely. I'm not building the church. And this thing that's happening does not ride on me, so to speak. It's his church. It's his church. I'm, I'm just another stone that's a part of the building, guys. And any guy who stands on the platform and has a pulpit and all that stuff, just stones. That's all we are. We're just rocks that God's using to form his church. That's it. There's nothing special about that, right? This rock looks no different in God's eyes than any other rock that's on this planet, so to speak, within his building. Now, there are certain things that I'm held accountable to, absolutely, 
uh, as a teacher of the Word of God. I, there's higher standards that I'll be held accountable to, for sure. But I'm still just a stone. Still just a rock in the building. That's all. But isn't it amazing that he lets us be rocks within the building? And this signifies the fact that the church is not a construct. The church is not a building. It's people. It's people. You're living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. So this would resonate with Peter's audience if they're, it's probably a mixed audience of Jews and Gentiles, technically, but Peter is, is referencing Old Testament type stuff. In fact, he's got three quotes from the Old Testament within this portion of scripture. And it's going to resonate with the Jews because to them, the temple is everything. But in this new thing called Christianity, you are the temple. You and I are, we're the temple. We're part of the temple. So yeah, there was a physical one. Yeah, it was beautiful and all that good stuff. But the church is the bride of Christ. We are this spiritual temple, building into his spiritual temple. Now, please note that it is God who is, again, building this temple. It's not us. It's not you. It's not your works. It's not anything like that. You're just a stone, just a stone. And I know that may not boost your confidence, but look around. There's just nothing but stones in this room, all right? That's who we are. That's who we are. But isn't it amazing that he's chosen you, that he picked you? He chose Israel. He chose the church. The church does not replace Israel, by the way. We do not replace Israel. He's not done with Israel. He still has plans for Israel. But it is God who is building. He builds it. And this next part, we do the sacrificing. So you're living stones. God's building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Look at that. You've all been promoted. You didn't know it, but now you got promoted. You are now priest of God. And you're like, that sounds weird. Or um, Yeah, no, you're a priest. You're a priest. You're part of the priesthood. This one thing that was so exclusive within the Jewish you know, religion and all that good stuff, you had one high priest who could go into the presence of the Holy of Holies just but one time. In this new thing, called Christianity, you're all priests, and you all have direct access into the throne room of God anytime you want, anytime you want. Wayne Grudem says, there can no longer be an elite priesthood with claims of special access to God or special privileges in worship or in fellowship with God. The believer is his own priest before God, right? So we don't have to have like somebody here physically that we have to go to in order to have our prayers communicated or delivered to God. This new thing called Christianity is you, according to the word of God, you are a priest, part of a royal priesthood, meaning you have direct access to God whenever you want. So you don't got to bring your prayers to me and be like, well, I hope he's not too scatterbrained and forgets to lift up my prayer to God. You don't have to worry about that, right? I'm just a stone. You're a stone. It's his building, but he has called you as his living stones, a royal priesthood, a part of it. Priests back in the old Levitical system made sacrifices. That's what they did, okay? They represented God to the people. That was part of their jobs. We went through Leviticus. It was an awesome, beautiful book. Leviticus is actually a beautiful book. I love that. It's a great book. We went through that verse by verse. 
And we saw that God put great emphasis on the priest and the requirements and all that good stuff. Why? Because they would represent him to the people. And then they would represent the people to him. So they had this ministry, and a lot of their ministry was just making sacrifices nonstop. That translates over to us today as if you're a part of this royal priesthood, this your holy priest, part of our life is we are representing God to people. So be careful on how you behave and how you act and the things you say. But part of our life is making sacrifices all the time. And in fact, he even goes on to say, through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Now, please note that that is through the mediation of Jesus Christ. So your sacrifices made unto the Lord are made through Jesus Christ, okay? So be mindful of that, right? Like, don't try to, you know, you're trying to do all this stuff for him and all that good stuff. Whatever you do for the Lord, do it as unto the Lord and just, in one sense, through the Lord Jesus. Whatever you're doing, just do it. Say, Lord Jesus, I need your help with this. And you got to be my strength. You, you got to give me your vision for this whole thing. I want it to be done not just for you, but by you working through me and that you receive all the glory and honor because we make these sacrifices through the mediation of Jesus Christ. He's our middleman, so to speak. And there's no better one than him. He also is making intercession on our behalf nonstop. He's praying for you all the time. So this is part of who we are. This is what a church is. Church isn't just like a denominational thing. It's not a like you dress up like this and you go and you, we do this, 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 and this, and this is how it is. That's not, no, church is like, it's organic. It's a building that's being built and organized by God. It's his vision. It's his plan. It's his strength. And everything that you and I do concerning church and all that good stuff should be done through the Lord Jesus so that he gets the glory, so that he gets the honor period. That's it. Because remember, you're just a rock. You're a rock. I'm a rock. You could say it another way. We're just sheep. We're sheep. He's the great shepherd. He is. No matter what you get to do on this planet as a sheep or as a rock, there is one chief cornerstone. There is one great shepherd, and his name is Jesus. But isn't it cool that he lets us be a part of this? This royal priesthood, this holy priest, through the mediation of, of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God, right? That's where that Romans 12, 1 comes into play. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice. So the sacrifices that you offer to God start with you first and foremost. What sacrifice do you have to make to God? Yourself. Yourself. From the bat, from the start of the day, here I am, right? Here's the problem with living sacrifices, they like to climb off of those altars. That's the problem with the, but he didn't call you to be a dead sacrifice, right? He called you to be a living sacrifice that represents him. And part of the, the problem with living sacrifices is when it gets hot, we want to bail out. When it starts to get difficult, we are like, I'm done. That's all I got. Lord, I hope you got enough because that's all I can handle. And he's like, no, let's stay on there a little bit longer. We're living sacrifices. You shouldn't be conformed to this world anymore. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind as to how the rest of uh, Romans chapter 12 goes on. You think different. You live different. 
And part of that comes along with presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. If you're having an issue with kind of getting your, your mind right and your thought life correct and all that good stuff, climb on the altar. It's first for a reason. If you're having a problem with like selfishness, get on the altar. If you're having a problem with like hatred or, or anger or bitterness towards somebody, that tells me that you're not on the altar. You've climbed off of the altar. Get back on that thing. Because it's stated there in chapter 12. And chapter 12 is a beautiful chapter out of Romans. But that thing is, is stated at the very beginning of that section of that whole letter for a reason. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice. It's just a good way to know. Um, believe it or not, I get a little moody at times. I get a little grumpy sometimes. I get a little selfish sometimes, uh, snippy, uh, you know, whatever you want to say. Uh, my family can testify to that. You know what that is? That's just a good reminder of like, James, you've gotten off the altar. Get back on the altar. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. Because we all, I mean, myself included, I just, it sounds good right now on Sunday morning. It's like, yes, yes, amen. Living sacrifices. Well, tomorrow's coming. I'm just saying. Look, like tomorrow's coming though. Tomorrow's coming. And then if the Lord wills, tomorrow's coming. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice. But the, the first thing that we offer as spiritual sacrifices that please the Lord is ourselves, is ourselves. There are other things that go along with that. And you've known that you, if you've been walking with the Lord for any certain amount of time, you also know that your time can be a part of that sacrifice given over to the Lord. Your resources, financial resources, tithing, tithing is an act of worship. Do that. That's a sacrifice that honors the Lord. There, there are many other things that you can include within that. But first and foremost, I think the thing that we should uh, definitely become experts in is presenting ourselves as living sacrifices, okay? It says, as the scriptures say, verse 6, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced, right? So you got, uh, that's from Isaiah chapter 28, 28, 16, where this reference is found, where the Lord Jesus is this cornerstone, Okay, chosen for great honor. Anybody who trusts in him will never be disgraced. That's a good word, right? That's an, a, it's a nice thing for you and I to have of like, you've given yourself over to the Lord and it's come with trials. It's come with tribulations and all that good stuff. But what you and I can bank on is the fact that giving yourself and trusting in the Lord, placing your faith, hope, trust in him, you'll never be disgraced in doing that. It may feel like a battle, and it's going to be, because that's what the Lord said it was going to be. It may feel difficult all the way throughout this thing, but in the end, you win. Like, you won the lottery, so to speak. Like, you can't get any better than making it through this life, and then there you are standing face to face with Jesus, the one who died on the cross for you. You win. You win. So whatever you went through on this life, you know, because of your choice of following Christ and all this stuff, yeah, it's going to be difficult. It is absolutely going to be difficult. But in the end, you can't tell me it's not worth it. You can't tell me it's not worth it. And you might be disgraced, quote unquote, by the world or something, but you're not disgraced in his eyes. And his eyes are the only ones that matter. Never disgraced. Never disgraced. Hold on to that. Hold on to that. Okay, in your low moments in this life, and, the, and they will come. Just hold on to that. 
and just remind yourself, man, Lord, just help me to see how you see me. Remind me of how you see me. Remind me of how you see me. In the book of 1 Peter, you hear a lot about suffering. Our own suffering is something that we have to work through. And Peter reminds us that Jesus suffered too. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. A few verses later it says, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return when he suffered. He did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. What Peter's getting at in these verses is that as a Christian, you're going to suffer persecution. But Jesus wasn't exempt from suffering either. In fact, he was treated worse than anyone, although he was without sin. Imagine being completely guiltless, faultless, sinless. It just seems so wrong for Jesus to have been falsely accused the way he was. May you find strength and courage in the fact that Jesus suffered at the hands of brutal and mean-spirited men. He knows what you're going through right now, and you can turn to Jesus for comfort and help. You've been listening to Pastor James Grizzle here on Bread for the Broken. If you'd like to hear additional messages like this one, go to breadforthebroken.com. Thanks so much for listening to today's teaching here in the book of 1 Peter. We'll be back next time with more as the Apostle Peter speaks some encouraging words that our souls will want to hear. So come back again next time to Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man, who I love.